Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. He came to him. Now he was sitting upstairs in his cool private chamber. Um, Then Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And so he arose, Eglon did, because if you have a message from God, he has a respect, at least something. So he rose to his feet. Ehud reached with his left hand, took the dagger from his right thigh, and he thrust it into his belly. everyone and welcome to Truth in Christ Radio. In today's study, Israel had to pay a tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, because they were under the dominion of the king of Moab. Ehud the Benjamite came to King Eglon as a messenger or courier. However, bringing a tribute to Eglon was not the only purpose of Ehud's visit. The message Ehud brought was, Those who oppress the people of God touch the apple of his eye and will be judged for it. Israel was subject to harsh treatment under the Moabites, and because they cried out to God for help, he showed them his mercy and freed them from the Moabites' oppression. Now let's join Pastor Rob for today's study. Judah, that not only the first real king of, of Israel, who was, uh, was David, even though it was Saul, he was from Benjamin, but the first real king that God really approved of was David from the tribe of Judah. And who would ultimately come through his loins, through his line, if you will, our, our Savior Jesus Christ. And notice verse 10, So the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. That's interesting, isn't it? So the Spirit of the Lord came upon Othniel, and he judged Israel, and he went out to war, and the Lord delivered Cushath, uh, Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed over Cushan Rishathaim. Boy, say that three times really fast. Maybe four times if you're really smart. You, know, you can do it. But notice that uh, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. So you and I enjoy something that the Old Testament saints never had. You and I have the Spirit of God indwelling us permanently, but in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God didn't indwell the believer or indwell anyone. He came upon them at different times to accomplish his means. And this is a good example. And notice what can happen through a man who's got the Spirit of God upon him and who was insignificant to everyone else. God chose Othniel from Judah, right? He, he, he called him and he empowered him. And what can God do through a, a man who nobody else looks at and thinks, oh, this guy is he's not, he's not handsome. He can't speak well. He doesn't have the pedigree. He didn't go to Yale or Harvard or Oxford. Um, he didn't go to um, you know, Princeton. Um, he doesn't have, all, he doesn't have a, a blonde girlfriend. Um, so he's, you know, he's nobody. 
right? And so God looks at all that and says, mm, I don't need any of that stuff. Watch what I'm going to do through this insignificant person. And God loves to do that. And he loves to pour out his spirit on one that nobody could, could care less about. And I love that. God is not a respecter of persons. He doesn't need authority. He doesn't need man-made authority. He doesn't need pedigrees. He doesn't need fancy jobs and titles. He doesn't need money even per se. God can do a lot with nothing. And so the Spirit of God comes upon him. In verse 11, So the land, notice, had rest as a result for 40 years. So God brought Othniel, the son of Kenaz, um, against uh, Cushan, Rishathaim, and prevailed. And it says the land had rest for 40 years. And then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. And that leads us right into our next judge of Israel. In fact, the whole time of Othniel was really the first of seven periods in the book of Judges. Because he delivered, you know, they, they served the, the king of Rishathaim. Uh, they served him for eight years. They had, after the battle, they had rest for 40 years. And that was the first of the seven periods. The second of those seven periods happens right now in the, in, with Ehud. And notice what it says in verse 12. It says, And the children of Israel, again, did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel. Because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Now remember, Moab was a descendant of Lot. Remember Abraham's nephew. It's recorded for us in Genesis chapter 19 how his two daughters, after they came out of Sodom and Gomorrah, remember that place was completely destroyed. And the two daughters, uh, in fear of uh, not having any kind of uh, prosperity, or posterity, I should say, posterity, is that right? Um, uh, they got their father drunk, and they had intimate relationships with him, and they both had a son. And one was called Ammon, or Ben-Ami, and the other one was called Moab. And so these two people, these two nations, really came out of an incestuous relationship between Lot and his two daughters, which God obviously did not sanction, nor did he approve of that. It was horrible, and, and they got him drunk to do it. And so he wasn't, a very, um, wasn't in control of himself. But verse 13, it says, Then he gathered to himself the people. So this Eglon, king of Moab, which is to the south and east of Israel, this king gathered the people of Ammon. Notice, that's the, one of the brothers of Moab was Ammon. And Amalek. These are the Amalekites. They went and they defeated Israel and they took possession of the city of Palms. The city of Palms, as you know, is Jericho. And when we were there just recently, it's an amazing thing. Right in the valley of Jordan there, in the valley, um, is, is, a, is a major fault line, actually. They call it a... Um, I forget what it's called, um, but it's it's literally a fault line that lines right in between in the Jordan Valley and right on the eastern side of the Jordan, the western side of the Jordan, I'm sorry, is Jericho. And even to this day, palm trees, for some reason, they're flourishing all down throughout the area. You'll just drive for miles and see them. I got pictures and videos of the bus driving and just seeing hundreds and hundreds of thousands of palm trees. And so... They came and they took possession of Jericho, because Jericho had already been defeated, remember, previously by the, by the Israelites. So it was, a, it was a complete ruins, but strategically it was a great place for an army to be. So in verse 14, the children of Israel, they served Eglon. It sounds like, sounds like the name of some kind of dairy farm, Eglon. You know, uh, if, I was a, uh, if I started my own egg business, I think I'll call it Eglon, or maybe not. 
Um, but Eglon, uh, king of Moab, they served him 18 years. But when the children of Israel, notice, cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up another deliverer, and this one was Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. By him, the children of Israel sent tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. So here, uh, there's something about the, the children of Benjamin that's really interesting. And we see them at the end of the book of Judges, um, actually in a really bad spot, and we'll get to that. But the Benjamites were these group of people where they were ambidextrous. They, had, uh, they could have a sword in both hand, both hands, and they were equally skilled with anything with, with both hands. And they were really skilled with their left hand. And um, that was going to be a, uh, an interesting advantage for them. And we're going to see it right now in what Ehud did to Eglon. And this is a verse that we know very well. You can also, if you want to look at um, uh, Judges 19 through 21, you'll see all of this, this whole story about the Benjamites and, and how they actually initially gained victory over the children of Israel during a, a spat between the tribes. You'll see that. Uh, later on when we get to it. But notice verse 16. Now Ehud, he made himself a dagger, and it was a double-edged, and it was a cubit in length. So this thing was 18 inches at least in in length, and he fastened it under his clothes on his right thigh, because if he's left-handed like I am, or actually if you're looking at me, this is, you know, whatever, this is my left hand, I put it on my right side, so when I pull it out of its scabbard, I've got, I can get to it. But that was very uncommon for someone to be left-handed. Left-handed. So, he hid it under his clothes on his right thigh, and so he brought the tribute, or, and this tribute was probably domestic animals, probably silver and gold and maybe other precious things. They brought it to the king of Eglon, the king of Moab, and I love what it says here. Now, Eglon was a very fat man. He was a fat man, and I love that. He was so fat. In fact, let me tell you something. He was so fat, in fact, that when he, when he backs up, you can actually hear that little sound, boop, boop. Boop, boop, like when the um, when the uh, uh, the garbage men when they when they come to your house at six o'clock in the morning and then you wake up in a cold sweat because you forgot to take out your trash. That same sound. He was so huge. He was so fat, and his feet, I bet, were really small. You know why? Because nothing grows in the shade. Nothing grows in the shade. So that's all the uh, divertisement you get for the for tonight. Go, let's go on to verse 18. It says, that when he had finished, I'm glad I can't hear you either scowling or so I can't hear anybody, so it's probably a good thing. And when he had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who had carried the tribute, but he himself turned back from the stone images that were at Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And we don't really know what these stone images are. Some believe it could have been the 12 stones that the Israelites took out of the Jordan the night that they came over, remember? As they walked through the Jordan, each of the uh, brothers of the 12 tribes, they took a stone and they took it to Gilgal that first night. We don't know if that's what this is. You know, maybe uh, people were turning this into some kind of uh, uh, idol. You know, we don't really know. But there they were. It could have been that. So they, But he turned himself back from the stone images that were at Gilgal, and he said, I have a secret for you, O king. And the king said, Keep silence. And all who attended him went out from him. So Ehud came to him. Now he was sitting upstairs in his cool private chamber. So here's this very large Jabba the Hutt-like creature sitting in his cool private chamber upstairs where the fan is probably blowing really nicely and he's got that nice dry, cool air blowing over his very large abdomen. 
And so there he is. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And I wonder how he said that. You know, to me, I, I get weird like that. And I think about how, how does he say this word, this phrase? You know, did he say to him, you know, I have a message from God for you in all seriousness. Or did he say, oh, I have a message from God for you. You know, because the tone says it all, doesn't it? And, you know, it's interesting, as Ehud would go in before this king, certainly the guards, they would examine him. And because he was left-handed, he put the, the knife on his, on his right thigh, underneath probably his thing, his whatever outer clothing he had, and they could check on the side that they would think, because most people were right-handed. So they could have checked him there, saw nothing. And so now Ehud's got this wonderful advantage that nobody else has. And so he came to him. Now he was sitting upstairs in his cool private chamber. Um, Then Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And so he arose, Eglon did, because if you have a message from God, he has a respect, at least something. So he rose to his feet. Ehud reached with his left hand, took the dagger from his right thigh, and he thrust it into his belly. Isn't Isn't that a nice description? And uh, even the hilt, even the part of the, of the blade at the end where there's a, usually a little notch or something where the handle is, even that went in after the blade. So he did it with such, such force and it was so sharp that it went completely right into him and the dagger, um, and he did not draw the dagger out of his belly and his entrails came out. Isn't that great to know that if you've had dinner tonight, now you can think about this imagery? But um, so that's what happened. And so then Ehud, he went out from through the porch and he shut the doors in the upper room behind him and he locked them. And when he had gone out, Eglon's servants came to look and to their surprise, the doors of the upper room, they were locked. And so they said, well, he's probably attending to his needs in the cool chamber. In other words, he's probably going number two. He's probably going number two. And we see the same thing in the King James in the first Samuel chapter 24, remember when uh, David was running from Saul, that Saul at one point went into the caves and he was, um, says he was taking his easement or whatever. So we get the idea. So anyway, verse 25. So they waited till they were, they waited until they were embarrassed. And you know that feeling when you're kind of, you're knocking on the door and nothing's happening. You're like, okay, something's not quite right here. So, they waited until they were embarrassed, and still he had not opened the door of the upper room. Therefore, they took the key, they opened the door, and there was their master fallen dead on the floor. But Ehud had escaped while they delayed and passed beyond the stone images and escaped to Sarah. And it happened, verse 27, when he arrived that he blew the trumpet in the mountains of Ephraim and the children of Israel went down with him from the mountains, and he led them. Notice, this man who nobody seemed to, there's, there's nothing really mentioned of him, uh, just a nobody really, but, but God would empower him by his spirit, and, and this man is going to be used to bring a great victory in the life of, uh, of Israel. And he led them, and in verse 28, Then he said to them, Follow me, for the Lord has delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. And so they went down after him. They seized the fords of the Jordan leading to Moab. Now, if you think of a map in front of you, and you're looking, a ford is basically a shallow area, usually where there's probably rocks, and there's a a shallow area where the water is not very deep at all. That's what a ford is. It's basically an area where um, the water's not rushing and it's kind of, uh, you can walk across it fairly easily. 
And so they seized the fords of the Jordan, leading to Moab, because Moab was on the east side of the Jordan and south of that. And so they did not allow anyone to cross over. Then verse 29, at that same time, and at that time, they killed about 10,000 men of Moab, and these were all stout men of valor, These and not a man of them escaped. So this is a, these are great men of war, great men of battle, uh, war um, war-proven soldiers. And so Moab, verse 30, was subdued that day under the hand of Israel. And notice, the land had rest for 80 years. 80 years is a long time. And they had rest for 80 years. And praise the Lord for that. You know, uh, it took a long time before they would slowly dip back into their sin. And notice what the the very uh, last verse of this chapter says, because this is... um, Shamgar, probably sometime while uh, Ehud was still alive, uh, a gentleman by the name of Shamgar, um, he went after, or after him was Shamgar the son of Anath, who killed 600 men of the Philistines with an, with an ox goad, and he also delivered Israel. So he must have been um, contemporary with uh, Ehud as well, because we read in the very next chapter, the very first verse, what does it say? When Ehud was dead, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. And this is where we're going to see Deborah. And we're going to save uh, Deborah chapters 4 and 5 for next week. Um, actually, I need to share something with you. Actually, I'll share it to you at the end. So uh, Deborah 4 and 5 will be our next two chapters that we uh, get into and there's not a whole lot known about Shamgar. His name actually means sword. Uh, but he used uh, a really unprecedented weapon. This ox goad, usually they're about 8 to 10 feet long. It's a pole. It's like a stick. And um, it was used to direct animals. And one end of it was like a, a, a chisel blade. Uh, or I'm sorry, it uh, was a sharp metal tipped stick on one end. And on the other end was a... Uh, like a chisel-like blade for cleaning a plow, that, that kind of a, an instrument. And yet he killed 600 men of the Philistines. And we don't really know whether he did that all at one time, whether he was just in a field and they were all coming at him and he took them out, or whether it was something that he did over a period of time. The Bible doesn't really say, but it doesn't really matter. The fact is, is the, the reason he's mentioned here is because the Philistines, just like the Amalekites, just like the Ammonites and some of these other Canaanites um, people, they were enemies against uh, Israel, and especially the Philistines, who God uh, wanted to get rid of completely, and ultimately he did. And so uh, these, uh, this Shamgar was one of the individuals that God had used to eradicate some of the Philistines. And so that's why he's mentioned here. There's nothing really more than his name in the Bible except for in a in passing, so there's not much known about him. But I think we can learn a lot from um, this chapter that we just looked at, you know, how God can just use, uh, He can use anybody. And if you feel insignificant and you don't think that you're, you amount to much, hey, let the Lord use you and ask Him to fill you. And He can do more with your life than uh, someone who's really uh, got all the education, got all the money. And got all those things going for him. And certainly uh, Ehud, you know, what an amazing man, just filled with the Spirit of God. Um, The Spirit came upon him and he was able to do really wonderful things. So don't despise those things. Um, Ask the Lord to fill you. 
and 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 ask him daily to do it and let's learn from these things that we read the bible says that the word of god is there for our learning for our teaching for our admonition for our instruction in righteousness right and so it's important that we we don't just become hearers of the word but we come, become doers don't think of it as something for someone else but this is for me today and it's something that i need to share with others around me and so let that be the prayer of your heart this week cuz guess what we're surrounded by a lot of people right now who have a lot of questions they might not even ask they might even be afraid to ask they don't even know what to ask honestly you and i have the wonderful distinction the wonderful privilege of knowing not only Jesus and being born again of his spirit but we have the wonderful privilege of knowing what the bible says and what's coming ahead of us can you imagine going through what we're going through and yet not having any hope at all not knowing what the future holds but hearing here and there that judgment is coming i mean that would be pretty that would rattle anybody and it ought to get people's attention right now and there's going to be some and so praise the lord for that so be encouraged but also don't be weary in well doing that's the that's the verse i wanted don't get weary in well doing because in due time god is going to work and so just stay faithful to him stay faithful to him when you are feeling unfaithful when you feel like nothing's going on just put one step in front of the other do you know that if you don't have to do great huge sweeping steps to 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 have victory It's remember that that phrase that says is that the hare and the tortoise how they how the how the tortoise can actually win the race you know he's just one foot in front of the other and he's just going really slowly but he's he just keeps going and meanwhile the other guy is running around him and finally he trips and breaks his leg and then the turtle walks across the finish line you know that's the way the christian walk is just put one small foot in front of the other and wake up and do the same thing and just continue to be obedient continue to be prayerful and just do the right thing always do the right thing and be sacrificial in what you do toward others you know if you don't feel like um you know some people in in a situation like in our country right now they they'll they'll feel really introverted and kind of downcast one of the best things you can do to get out of that hump if you will is to go out and do something make up you know right now you might not be able to go out to somebody's house but maybe you can make them food maybe you can bring it to them in a a sterilized container and wipe it down with Clorox wipes and set it outside their their doorstep or maybe you can do something for somebody. If you do something for somebody, you'll forget about your own troubles. And there's a secret to that and may we learn that uh in everything we do. You know, self-sacrifice is a good thing. It really keeps us from thinking too much about ourselves because when we think about ourselves too long, it gets pretty discouraging, doesn't it? And we don't really um we we really just need to be other centered other focused and that's the secret i believe and that's the way i want to hopefully uh live more of my life like that i pray that you do too so let's pray father we just thank you for this time and we pray jesus that you would teach us that you'd strengthen us lord as we um as we learn from these things that you've written to us in your love letter the bible Lord we thank you for the the honest the painfully honest even ugly things that are written there Lord because we know that we're not alone and Lord you don't candy coat you don't sugar coat uh humanity Lord you you show it in all of its vileness and you also show all the beauty uh, that can be found in man and more importantly you show us the beauty of Jesus Christ the one who has saved us 
and the one who has blessed us, Father. So have your way with us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Judges. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.